0: Welcome to this episode of Active Insights, where we explore topics related to federal government, healthcare, and business. Today, we're taking a look at improving outcomes through healthcare supply chain management. Our special guest is Dr. Eugene Schneller, Professor of Supply Chain Management at the W.P. Carey School of Business at Arizona State University. Dr. Schneller developed the Healthcare Sector Supply Chain Initiative at ASU, which involves a major focus on research called the Health Sector Supply Chain Research Consortium. The consortium is internally recognized for its design, bringing together competitors from across the health industry to solve common problems. He is joined today by Dr. Jason Ormsby, the Chief Healthcare Officer at Aptiv and leader of Aptiv's health solutions sector.
1: Okay, welcome everyone uh today uh we're lucky to have um to have with us Dr. Eugene Schneller uh a professor in the department of supply chain management uh at Arizona State Universities uh, W.P. Carey School of Business um Dr. Schneller is the co-founder of Healthcare Supply Chain Excellence and a principal uh at Healthcare Sector Advances um, he's also one of the authors of, of Strategic Management of Healthcare Supply Chain. Uh, this wonderful book, um, and I might say well written, Dr. Schneller, uh, which is not always the case, um, offers a big picture overview uh, and a proven strategic framework for supply chain management and healthcare. Uh, and this includes uh, training in supply chain. Pet- principles or constructs like FISCO. Um, uh, and it also has really detailed methodologies and tools that I found uh, to help health leaders improve various aspects of supply chain, whether that's internal supply chain, supplier relationships, all levels of customers in the supply chain. So uh, it's both high level and very uh, detailed for methodologies and tools. So. Um, I'm Dr. Jason Ormsby, and I lead our uh, healthcare practice at Active. I'm our chief healthcare officer, um, and I've known Dr. Schneller for 26 years. 26 years of um, uh, having first had the privilege of being Dr. Schneller's graduate student, um, and um, and something that I can only say about one person. If it wasn't for Dr. Schneller, I wouldn't have my life partner today, Maya. Uh, as we've also been together 26 years, so uh, so let's kick things off. And um, we've organized the discussion around some key themes uh, in the supply chain, most of which came from questions uh, from staff and colleagues who are interested or or dealing with su- uh, supply chain issues in healthcare. So. Uh, the first bucket of questions is around what what is healthcare supply chain and why do we need to be concerned about it? So the first question, Dr. Schneller, uh, define the supply chain.
2: Thanks, Jason, and, and thanks for this opportunity. It's great to speak to your audience. And uh, just so they know, you were really a great student. Uh, we weren't happy to get rid of you, but... Uh, You know, for a college professor, it's always great to see your former students doing really important work. And uh, I congratulate you on that. Um, Having brought you and your spouse together is even better. So there we go. Uh, Supply chain. Uh, In in relatively simple terms, it's an organization's links to the variety of processes and companies and activities that uh, generate value along that pipeline. Uh, through the products, the services that meet really the expectations of customers uh, in healthcare. Those customers are sometimes clinicians, doctors, and nurses who can't do their work without supplies, as we look found during COVID. Uh, but also the uh, patients themselves, because patients need that. And so, when I think about supply chain, it includes the. All of the logistics management activities, uh, getting products to where they are, uh, the manufacturing uh, operations that go on to that, uh, both upstream and downstream. Uh, If we think about pharmaceuticals, it it, it extends into finding those uh, components that go into drugs, the active uh, components, and the coordination and the management across all of those areas to be able to get there. And I generally think that there's three supply chains going on. One is the uh, products. Uh, the second is the supply chain of information that goes back and forth. And then there's also a financial supply chain, because if there's really not an order for something, not much does happen. Uh, the, the really critical word that, uh, we've been thinking about is value of how you add value and the extent to which the supply chain adds value to almost everything you do. And so it's very broad. Uh, it's a term that became very popular, obviously during COVID. Uh, it's one that people hadn't paid a lot of attention to, and one of the things that supply chain pays a lot of attention to are disruptions and risks and all of those things that happen. Uh, from the point of origin of a product all the way down to the patient.
1: Thank you, Dr. Schneller, for that uh, that description of the supply chain, uh, kind of defining the parameters of the supply chain. You mentioned disruptions. Uh, obviously, we had a major disruption in the, in the COVID-19 pandemic, which uh, highlighted uh, gaps, uh, risk issues uh, in the supply chain. Um, uh can, can you speak a little bit, start speaking a little bit to what COVID-19 uh, and the pandemic uh, provided us insights about the healthcare supply chain?
2: Sure. Well, f- first, Jason, it really challenged a lot of the principles that uh, we've been teaching students for many years uh, about sole sourcing and single sourcing and just-in-time. And You know, quite frankly, hospitals, uh, healthcare organizations, and both on the uh, commercial side as well as the government side, had really emphasized lean, had emphasized cost reduction, and they had emphasized just in time. And it's interesting because as I was defining supply chain, I talked about upstream. Well, upstream, you have both, uh, you have in healthcare, uh, you've got suppliers and manufacturers, you've also got distributors. Uh, like Cardinal Healthcare, Owens and Minor and others. And all of those organizations had become more lean. All of them had become very cost conscious. And so one of the things that we found is that we really didn't build up stockpiles and we really didn't think about backups. Uh, we had had some early warnings. One can go back, uh, a number of years to, uh, Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico when a large uh, manufacturing company making virtually all of the bags for sterile injectables was wiped out. Uh, we had sole sourced so much to one country and had not done a lot to have backup. And so one of the things I think that COVID did is really challenge some of the basic principles. Not that they didn't make sense and not that they weren't appropriate, but one had to make sure that one understood what was going on around that. And that was really important another interesting kind of observation that people don't talk about is the extent to which we had debetted the american hospital uh in terms of our supply uh, if we go back 20 years 15 years you know we had well over a, a million and a half uh, hospital beds in the united states and now we've reduced ourselves to really only about uh 900,000 beds so we took a significant number of beds out of the um, out of the active supply chain of what was there, to what we could do with patients, and somehow we found ourselves with a pandemic that really demanded putting many people into hospitals, and that was really a problem. So that's important. So some really issues came up and and that is we really didn't think about standby. And we haven't thought a lot about how do you finance resilience. How do you finance the backup that you really need to be able to do things? You know, at healthcare, we had focused on cost, quality, and outcomes, the CQO, you know, that major triangle. And what we've tried to do is add plus sign in that with resilience, putting an R in, CQO plus R. And so organizations would begin to really focus on the resilience issue, the ability to sustain themselves during periods of disruption. And it's interesting that in the commercial world uh, of hospitals and healthcare organizations, uh, none really have the word resilience in their mission statement, and relatively none have preparedness in their mission statement, unlike, say, the uh, Defense Health Agency, which thrives on that within its mission. And we think that needs to be added, and that's a governance issue. Because unless your trustees and others really are willing to make investments in resilience, it's probably not going to happen. And we'll see the supply chain really revert to its uh, focus on cost. I haven't mentioned that up until now, but supplies are the second largest cost to a hospital after human resources. And if you work consistently to reduce that cost, that's probably good. It lets you do other things with those funds. But if we reduce your supply chain to a point where it doesn't have the resilience, the ability to really come back from a disruption, it's going to hurt the organization, it's going to hurt your employees, and certainly it's going to hurt patients.
1: Which was definitely the case for resilience uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, you did a lot of work in this area, I know. We did adaptive of uh of these resiliency planning and adding a long term element to their strategic plan as a, as opposed to short term responses to supply chain issues, this is connected to the FISCO model as well, uh, Dr. Schneller, which uh, uh, which is which is includes resiliency. Do you want to describe to our audience what the FISCO model is?
2: Sure. FISCO stands for a fully integrated supply chain organization. Uh, it's a concept that we developed at Arizona State University and uh, our new book, uh, Strategic Management of the Healthcare Supply Chain, uh, has a is designed around the FISCO model. Uh, important in the FISCO model are 17 different elements. I'm not going to go into all of them here. But they include supply chain management processes, such as sourcing, standardization, and contracting, and the technology tools that are within that. And so the system architecture, uh, what are the kinds of, how does supply chain, for example, enter into the electronic health record? Can we track and trace products for recalls? All of those technology tools are very important aspects of a fully integrated supply chain. And then, of course, the organization support the training, the structure, the governance, all of those things go into the FISCO. And it's interesting is that we've been able to look at large hospital systems and look at them across the 17 different dimensions that I've just mentioned and been able to see where they stand in relationship to industry best practices.
1: No, I appreciate the model very much. And uh, I highly recommend people watching this video to Look at your descriptions and the graphics exhibits on the Fisco model, which is very similar to things we do at Aptiv around high reliability organizations, which has a level of maturity with with certain components that are necessary for a high performing health system. Um, before we end on COVID, uh, any other uh, ways that COVID impacted the supply chain of note, Doctor Schneller? Uh, we obviously heard of PPE and, 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 and oxygen shortages and, and all types of things in the news, but there were other things that we learned from the, from the pandemic around the supply chain.
2: Well, one of the things that we learned is that we really didn't focus on stockpiles, the ability to keep reserves of products. Uh, we had relied in many instances on the strategic national stockpile, uh, which is run by government, and we saw that that stockpile was really insufficient and not well managed. Uh There have been a lot of criticisms over the decades uh, across administrations on the health of that strategic national stockpile. Uh, there's a good deal of uh, relooking at it and understanding it. But I think it's important to point out that the strategic national stockpile has always been seen as a backup. And that it's really important for systems themselves and communities to think about how they're going to deal with this issue. Uh, One of the areas that we've been doing a good deal of research is on what we call common pool resource organizations, how organizations in a community can come together to be able to uh, protect themselves and be resilient going forward. One of the really important things that happened during the pandemic, and by the way, I'm not really sure it's all over, but one of the things that happened over those first two years of the pandemic, a great deal of collaboration uh, by organizations within communities. They increased their transparency. They opened up their stocks to others to be able to see. But one of the things that we see really going away right now, uh, I talk about this as stickiness. Uh, Many of the best practices that we found really haven't been able to sustain themselves. And so there's a concern about not being transparent. We work in a very competitive commercial uh, commercial healthcare environment. And so being able to do those things is is of concern. Uh, We think that the development within communities of common pool resource organizations makes a lot of sense. Uh, virtually every state uh, has collaboratives funded by federal government. Sometimes those collaboratives can come forward and do those roles, but others can do it. By the way, we don't think stockpiles and uh, being able to have surplus has to be physical. It can be virtual, it's just so that we have the kind of visibility that's really needed to also have that redundancy. Uh, if you go back and look at the uh, white papers, Put out by the White House in terms of the executive directories, really arguing for redundancy, arguing for reshoring. A lot of those things are going on and they're being supported by the distributors, they're being supported by group purchasing organizations. But it's hard to be able to satisfy many of those uh, directives for healthcare supply chain issues. Number one, it's very expensive to reshore. Secondly many of the products have high levels of pollution so producing examination gloves uh they're very big high polluters and others we don't have the uh resources for uh the uh, components for as we mentioned for active pharmaceutical ingredients uh ingredients what we call APIs uh those frequently come from other places uh 70% of our imported um Uh, pharmaceuticals, particularly generics, are coming from India, but India's uh, sourcing from China for those APIs and other places in Asia. And so it's a very interconnected supply chain. We need to be able to do that. Um, I think another interesting lesson, Jason, is really tracking and tracing upstream of just not who the supplier is, but who their suppliers are and who their suppliers' suppliers are. Uh, tiers one, two, three, all the way up. And other industries, the auto industry for years has been tracking, uh, those suppliers. Uh, GM does a great job of it. Every time they do a contract uh, with someone, they, they ask them who are their tier two, tier three, tier four suppliers. And then they try to track those. They, they use their commercial organizations such as Resolink and others that do that sort of upstream tracking in terms of what disruptions are happening. Uh, whether it's a fire, which is the most common uh, interrupter in disruption in healthcare, which is something I didn't know until very recently, uh,
0: neither.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, factory fires seem to be very important, and and we need to to watch those. But tsunamis are important, and what GM knows is that when they get a notice uh, that there's going to be an uh, impact, uh, particularly environmental impact, they'll send a plane to pick up what's sitting on a loading dock whether it's in Asia or someplace else. And unless you have the information systems and the ability to do that, it's just not going to happen.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. In in, in the book, you go into a lot of detail about these, you're describing vulnerabilities to uh, to the supply chain, right? There are 12, I think there are 12 categories, Dr. Schneller, of vulnerabilities to the supply chain. Often we don't think about the upstream, where are those ingredients coming from, etc. It's not as simple as a hospital makes an order and there's one supplier that provides that product or pharmaceutical or whatever. Are there anything else to mention about the vulnerabilities, Dr. Schneller? Uh, I know that there's there's the lack of trust, there's lack of best practices, There's there's many vulnerabilities that you go into detail. Uh, yeah. in your in your book.
2: I think a really important one, Jason, is the lack of standardization in the system. Um, you know, a, a uh, IV set is not an IV set for everybody. They may have different connectors. So the ability to deal with a disruption is not just moving from product A to product B. It may involve training. It may be incompatible with the machinery that you have that you're going to use it with. And we've really not done a great deal for standardization across the healthcare supply chain. And by the way, uh, this is not an easy issue. The healthcare, you know, if you look at the FDA and if you look at the annual number of new products coming into the healthcare supply chain, it's enormous, the number of 510Ks. the 510Ks are what are called predicate devices. They're similar to other things on the market. But one of the things a 510K doesn't have to do is to be, meet all of the standards of another in terms of its substitutability. And we need to spend a lot more time thinking about that because if one factory gets knocked out, if one source gets knocked out uh, during a disruption, how, how likely are we to be able to take products that are similar, but utilize those products within the supply chain? So. And the other thing is we don't think a lot about the supply chain as being circular. Uh, the reverse supply chain is really important and the risks of it. Uh, doing recalls is tremendously important. It, it, it was important, obviously, during the pandemic when we had counterfeit products that we wanted to get out of the uh, marketplace. But it's also important uh, daily. There are a huge number of recalls of both drugs and devices yearly. And unless we have the information systems that are able to do that, uh, that's important. number of years ago, the FDA mandated uh, that there be a unique device identification on products, uh, both uh, implantables and now a wider range of products. Uh, those UDIs, those unique identifiers are there. The suppliers have done that. Uh, but the hospitals frequently will uh, slap their own barcode over a UDI and not know where those products are within the hospital. And so when you have to do a recall across a very large system such as the Veterans Administration or of uh, the you know the Kaiser Permanente system, knowing where products are uh, is tremendously important for that circular supply chain to be able to get them out of the organization as well as to bring them
1: in. Yeah, fascinating. I, I did find that fascinating about the reverse supply chain, which I didn't think as much about, but from a patient safety perspective, it's ultra important, right? Uh, these recalls or or what have you, all part of the, uh, so, so to continue with uh, resilience, uh, you know, the FISCO model is an excellent way to kind of grasp what are all the main components that you need to have a mature supply chain, whether that's a health system or a hospital, whatever. Uh, and then you've laid out the vulnerabilities. You've talked about most of them here. Uh, any other things you want to add to developing that long game, Dr. Yeah, Sean, for I, I would just
2: note that re- resilience has three major kinds of components. One is sort of the proactive thing, uh, you know, being able to anticipate, to resist, and prepare for disruptions. And um, again, I think organizations did not do a great job of that. Uh, Many of them had uh, business interruption plans. Hospitals, the Joint Commission mandates that you have in place, uh, uh, processes to do that. Those things frequently have sat on the shelf and not done well. Uh, The second part after proactive is really having a reactive component Uh, that you can contain the damage, that you know what to do, that you can recover quickly from the disruption. And that's important. And we saw some amazing um, innovation. Banner Healthcare here, for example, in Arizona, went very quickly from using paper gowns to being able to acquire cloth, bring in people who could sew gowns and, and moved quickly from having paper gowns to cloth gowns. Really important. The third aspect of resilience is, is this transform its ability to transform the organization, its transformative component. And here's where you've really learned from those disruptions. You've been able to adopt to that new environment, and then you can transform that. Think about telemedicine. Telemedicine really brought healthcare to where the patient was. And we're continually talking about uh, the hospital at home. We even talked about the ICU at home. Well, if we're going to do those kinds of things, and that's very transformative. It really changes. It brings health care to the patient where they are. Um, very interesting. Are we going to keep doing those things? Will we? Are those things sustainable? Uh, are hospitals going to be reimbursed well for doing those things? All of those things are really important as we think about resilience and ability to sustain the kinds of advances that we made during the period of time.
1: So in the future, Dr. Schneller, you know, uh, there's a plan for having a mature supply chain. You referenced uh, accreditation standards as a part of having a resilience plan, Uh, but you also infer that it requires people, resources, time, expertise, to kind of implement these new these either best practices or new innovations. Uh, anything to add about how we help uh, hospitals and health? That doesn't have to be just hospitals and health systems, right? It can be other types of providers um, with implementing these best practices.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think one one is, and we haven't talked about it, Jason, is the regulatory environment. A number of things happened during COVID that uh, provided more agility and flexibility in the supply chain. Uh, just think about going to your corner pharmacy and being able to get your, uh, you know, your, your vaccine shots there. Uh, I grew up; my father was a pharmacist. If he stuck a needle in somebody, he would have probably lost his license to practice. Well, we did a lot during COVID to really rethink about the division of labor in healthcare, what people could do. And we have became much more competency-based in, rather than having very strict licensure determine what people did, but we could not do. We could also begin to look at how people's talents were able to be brought together to accomplish certain goals. So I think thinking about the regulatory environments really interesting. Where can you do things and how can you do them better? Telemedicine is another good example. The, uh, here in Arizona, we used telemedicine for years. Uh, we had a very, very strong infrastructure for it, mostly designed around the Bureau of, Pr- of Prisons because it's very expensive to bring a, phys- a prisoner Uh, from Florence, Arizona, where we have a a prison, uh, to Phoenix to get a dermatological exam. And so we developed ways to be able to do that. We adopted quickly, we became agile. Uh, We took telemedicine and we employed it very well. We now see a pushback on telemedicine in a lot of those environments. And so we need to think about the sustainability of the innovations that we did to be able to do it and to be able to sustain the best practices and redefine best practices, not just in terms of their cost, but in terms of their ability to provide resilience to the system to be able to do that.
1: What wonderful and um, about the best practices, um, people watching this video to learn more about best practices, you know, obviously. You are a leader in one of the top-ranked supply chain programs in the nation. Uh, so there are educational routes uh, to to advance your expertise in supply chain. There are certifications. There are associations. You want to kind of mention what uh, people watching this uh, can not just your book, which is a, which is a fantastic resource because it's it's written to all levels. Uh, it's what you want to take out of it. That's that's how I felt about your text. Uh, but uh, any other resources that you would recommend? Yeah, maybe talk about the degrees and certifications, but also uh, resources available from associations, which you have links to all those things in your text. But
2: sure. Well, the, the American Hospital Association. Uh, has a division called ARM, the Association for Healthcare Resources and Materials Management, A-H-R-M-M. And you can Google ARM. And ARM provides a variety of outlets and an annual meeting for supply chain. And it's very, very prolific in terms of that. So ARM is a great resource. A second great resource in terms of publication uh, is Healthcare Purchasing News, HPN. Uh, HPN is a great way to know what's going on within the, uh, environment as are the other journal of, uh, a healthcare contracting, uh, a journal called resilience. Uh, those are, uh, repertoire is a very interesting journal that looks at healthcare issues. Uh, you might want to look at those. Um, there is a new organization, uh, that looks at resilience, uh, and, uh, Again, there's a list of those within the book. Uh, if, if people are interested in joining some of those organizations or understanding more about them, uh, they can are, are welcome to contact me. The Strategic Marketplace Initiative is a group of uh, suppliers as well as hospitals that have come together uh, to be able to collaboratively solve problems. And I think that's really interesting. They do surveys, they provide, and and going to their website, you'll see many, many tools on their website to be able to carry out processes that are so important in supply chain, such as value analysis. And Jason, we haven't talked about value analysis, but we might. Uh, Clearly, what makes supply chain work, and we talk about it a great deal within the book, uh, is, is the clinical supply chain the ability to engage clinicians in working to identify the best product for the best patient at the best cost. And the clinical supply chain is one that we need to pay great attention to. Uh, There are clinicians, uh, many nurses involved in supply chain, but increasingly a large number of physicians, really, who have seen supply chain as critical to be able to determine what the best practices are. And when one goes into contracting, Uh, Many hospitals uh, do their purchasing through group purchasing organizations. In the text, we spend a good deal of time talking about group purchasing organizations, what they do. But we also talk about the advent of regional group purchasing organizations, not just the national ones, but also the development internally of um, what what I would think of as uh, 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 service centers within the hospital itself. And those service centers are uh, insourcing a good number of the uh, activities that have to do with strategic sourcing and contracting and, and the distribution function. Uh, those consolidated service centers, uh, talk about them as CRCs, consolidated service centers, really have a direction that many of the large systems have taken to be able to have more control over their supply chain. Not that they don't continue to work with traditional distributors and manufacturers, they do. But they've taken a lot of those uh, processes in-house to be able to do that. Um, One of the areas that we've seen uh, evolve uh, post-COVID is regulation of mandated inventory levels. Both California and New York have mandated uh, 90-day inventory levels for hospitals. How do you manage those? Which 90 days? The 90 days when you were using two tractor loads, of uh, tractor trailer loads of masks every week or the average day? Uh, how do you do that? And how do you manage that resilience? And how do you pay for that kind of stock and that kind of backup that's there? And that's really uh, uh, interesting to uh, think about.
1: It is. And uh, we could spend all day talking about those federal state local international policies that influence the supply chain on a daily basis so that's kind of those external factors that you speak about in the book uh that uh, you can build a mature supply chain but there's externalities that that kind of influence that um definitely the definitions that you talked about uh group purchasing organizations other types of best practices uh, are listed on this website with this video, uh, and important links uh, uh to some of the associations and training opportunities that you mentioned also are are, are listed here. But uh I guess the uh, a broader question to start to try and start to finish this, I guess, although I don't want to, um was the future hold for Healthcare supply chain. Obviously, it's it's formed around this fiscal model, this developing maturity in your components of a you know of the healthcare supply chain within a health system or a hospital or other organization. But what does the future hold for supply chain?
2: It's a great question. Uh, we've tried to uh, differentiate between uh, supply chain management over the last several decades in the book. And Uh, We write about that in some deep, you know, in in some depth. I I think one is a uh, acceleration of the clinically integrated supply chain, bringing clinical data to identify the best products for the best patient for the best outcome. Uh, I think some of the new, if you think of AI uh, for that, that's a great way to be able to do, look at large data sets and begin to identify some of that. Uh, Secondly, we're seeing a great deal more of automation of that supply chain. A lot of it's been manual, that the uh, warehouses have been manual. The automation of those is really important. Uh, I I think we see new entrants coming into the supply chain. Obviously, we've seen Amazon come in. We've seen FedEx come in. We've seen uh, uh uh, Walmart is, you know, very much active in supply chain and sees healthcare as an area for strategic advantage. And their advantage, obviously, is the automation of the processes they've done and be able to bring products directly to the customer. And that's that's, I think, really very, uh, very important. Uh, I go back to the cost, quality, outcomes, and and the readiness and the resilience piece. Uh, I think we'll see much more of a focus. Uh, 2023 going forward to looking at resilience, and as things move into the into the cloud, um, I'm I'm very concerned that unless systems take on a good deal of the resilience piece themselves, we'll have increased regulation in the system. And so I think there should be a relatively high level of of motivation to be sure that the systems themselves, whether you're a provider system or you're a manufacturer. Or really don't drop the resilience issue that you've had to be able to not just be responsive to your customers over time, but also to protect yourself uh, in terms of where you sit within the marketplace.
1: So, Dr. Schneller, you mentioned uh, several times about the um, uh, the need for value analysis or value analysis teams within a health system to periodically, if not in real time, a review, everything in the supply chain, and the effectiveness and efficiency of their supply chain. Can you describe more about uh, value analysis or value analysis teams? So most
2: hospitals have what are called VATs, value analysis teams or value analysis committees, and uh, those value analysis teams and committees. Uh, sometimes there's standard standing committees in areas like orthopedics and cardiology, uh, and they meet frequently to identify the the, the best products uh, that that are there. Uh, sometimes they meet um, sporadically. But the average group purchasing organization contract is three years, and at the end of the three years, the healthcare organization will say, oh, let's look at all the hips we're using, all the knees we're looking, and let's try to understand, are are there those that we should standardize on? And it's been a really tough area because clinicians have very strong preference. We talk about this as uh, physician preference items, PPIs, different than PPEs, uh, which are there. And physician preference item management is one of the key ways in which a healthcare organization both can save money by uh, uh, having greater volumes and being able to negotiate contracts, but also be able to reduce its risk and increase safety by utilizing a smaller number of products. Uh, The management of those teams is frequently uh, by nurses. And others who get involved, but increasingly physicians are taking strong leadership roles in those uh, value analysis teams. And I think that the understanding of those from both the provider of of care uh, perspective, but also from suppliers, because if you're a supplier of a product, uh, you want to understand the processes that a large system would go through to be able to decide to use your product or a product that's basically equivalent to yours, And so the maturity of the value analysis process is very important. And it's really one of the 17 areas that we go through in talking about what a fully integrated supply chain organization does well.
1: Dr. Schneller, thank you uh, for your time today. Um, and sharing this wealth of knowledge you have about the supply chain uh you are a nationally recognized expert in supply chain management in healthcare and i think broader and more importantly um you've contributed so much to the field of healthcare you've you've educated thousands of health professionals in quality safety access Um, So uh, you're a mentor of mine, but you're a mentor of many, many, many others. So uh, thanks for your dedication to improving healthcare for all.
2: Jason, thank you. And it's
0: great to spend time with you today. And that wraps up another episode of Active Insights. Thank you for joining us. And a special thank you to Dr. Schneller and Dr. Ormsby for the thought-provoking discussion today. Dr. Schneller's new book, the second edition of Strategic Management of the Healthcare Supply Chain, is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other retailers. Our website, where you can listen to all our episodes and find supporting materials, is AptiveResources.com. Tune in next time for more thought-provoking discussions on Aptive Insights.